The reason Clostridium difficile is such a big deal is that it produces toxins. So there's enterotoxin A and cytotoxin B. Actually, there is a third toxin called a binary toxin that's produced by some strains that may contribute to pathogenesis, but mostly we talk about enterotoxin A and cytotoxin B. And there are all kinds of host responses that can occur on an immune complex level. So that decides really what happens to the patient, meaning you might just have some diarrhea or you may have diarrhea with inflammation or you may get tissue necrosis. And you will hear the term fulminant disease used with Clostridium difficile. And when we talk about fulminant disease, we're talking about people with shock or an ileus or toxic megacolon or developing hypotension or organ failure. And there's all kinds of factors that go into that beyond just the host response. So there are different strains of Clostridium difficile. For example, the ribotype O27 can cause substantial disease severity and mortality. And that's why everybody that sees this disease often enough sees a range of problems from diarrhea that just lasts a day or two and then you start treatment and it goes away pretty quickly to the other side of that pendulum, which is death. Now, when we do diagnose a Clostridium difficile infection, the very first thing we want to do is try and discontinue the causative antimicrobial agents if antimicrobial agents are the cause. Again, there are other causes like chemotherapy and other risk factors. Let's say you absolutely cannot get this patient off of antibiotics because of the infection that they have. Well, then you really want to try and narrow the spectrum because, for example, a commonly related antibiotic to developing Clostridium difficile would be third and fourth generation cephalosporins. But if you use a first generation cephalosporin, you can cause Clostridium difficile, but it's less likely. So the commonly related antibiotics are usually the carbapenems, the later generation cephalosporins, obviously clindamycin, and then the fluoroquinolone class. Most of us, including myself, can use some improvement in decreasing our broad-spectrum antibiotic use, but it's hard to do that with several infections in the hospital where targeted treatment with a narrow-spectrum antibiotic won't provide adequate coverage. But even then, I'm waiting for that gutsy antimicrobial stewardship committee that's going to get my attention when they decide that people that don't believe in evolution and therefore reject several of the concepts in bacterial resistance should only get penicillin for every infection. That fantasy aside, the bigger point is to discontinue any antibiotics that are no longer absolutely needed. Now, you are going to need antibiotics to treat the Clostridium difficile infection. And while I don't recommend the following, and nobody's recommending the following, if you discontinue antibiotics, and that's the reason the patient got the Clostridium difficile infection, and it's not severe or fulminant disease, a lot of times the Clostridium difficile infection may spontaneously resolve. Again, I'm not recommending that, but it just shows the importance of stopping antibiotics if you can get away with it, and very often you can. The irony, of course, is when we stop those broad-spectrum antibiotics or even narrow-spectrum that can cause C. diff, then we want to start 
specific antibiotic treatment for Clostridium difficile. There aren't a whole lot of antibiotics that treat Clostridium difficile, though the president recently announced he's going to create the best antimicrobial we've ever seen for C. diff, and he's actually going to make C. diff pay for it. In the meantime, what we have to treat Clostridium difficile is vancomycin and fidaxomycin, and we'll talk about metronidazole a little bit. So vancomycin, 125 milligrams, PO, four times a day for 10 days, or fidaxomycin, 200 milligrams, PO, for 10 days. The exception to that is when you have fulminant Clostridium difficile. So in that case, you're going to give vancomycin at a dose of 500 milligrams four times a day, and that is PO dosing or through an NG tube, except when an ileus is present, and then you gotta consider giving vancomycin through the rectum. So when you have fulminant disease, you're also going to add metronidazole, 500 milligrams IV every eight hours, in addition to the oral vancomycin. If you really don't have vancomycin available or you don't have fidaxomycin available, which can happen in certain parts of the world or maybe we're in some severe shortage in the future, then you still can consider metronidazole. The joke in the ID world is if your mother-in-law comes to the hospital, give her metronidazole, also known as flagell. But if your mother comes to the hospital, use fidaxomycin or vancomycin. So why did the new guidelines, the IDSA guidelines, get rid of metronidazole? Well, metronidazole is absorbed usually in the gut before it gets to the colon. So where you really want it is the Clostridium difficile in the colon, and not a whole lot gets there. And it has been shown in trial studies not to be as good as vancomycin or fidaxomycin. A lot of us old-timers have obviously seen a lot of cures of Clostridium difficile infection with metronidazole, so it's not that it doesn't work at all. It's just not as good. All right, let's talk about fidaxomycin a little bit because it often comes up, which should you use, fidaxomycin versus vancomycin? At our hospital, on the first time of getting Clostridium difficile, we're using vancomycin, and that mostly is because of cost considerations. Of course, it's worth re-emphasizing that when we talk about vancomycin, we're not talking about IV vancomycin. You have to use oral vancomycin, or in extreme situations, you may need to use a vancomycin enema. If fidaxomycin didn't have a financial toxicity, would it be a better choice than vancomycin? I think the answer is yes. Now, that financial toxicity is real, particularly if you're a hospitalist and you discharge somebody and then you find out three days later you get a note from the pharmacy or a call from them that they couldn't fill the fidaxomycin because it was too expensive or maybe you needed a prior author for whatever reason. But let's say that the day comes that fidaxomycin and vancomycin are exactly the same price. Which should you use? And you can go back to a 2011 study in the New England Journal of Medicine, fidaxomycin versus vancomycin for Clostridium difficile infection and what that found is that the recurrence rate of having Clostridium difficile favored fidaxomycin over vancomycin. Now, of course, with every more expensive treatment in all of medicine, there is going to be some sort of financial analysis done that always proves that the more expensive therapy is actually better for the country financially. Usually, 
that is a bunch of hogwash. In this case, I think there actually is an argument, and that's because the recurrent infection rate with Clostridium difficile is pretty darn high, probably about 25%. So one in four of your patients is going to have recurrent infection, and if you need to be hospitalized for that, that is a significant expense. The other thing, just expenses aside, is that when you see these patients with recurrent Clostridium difficile, they often have a lot of debility. Maybe that's part of the reason that they have the host factors that made them susceptible to Clostridium difficile infection in the first place, but the infection itself, because it is so volume-depleting and fatiguing and can have so much inflammation and ultimately embarrassment. So a lot of these patients require using a bedside commode. Now, I can't even imagine not having routine bathroom privacy for my day-to-day bathroom needs, let alone diarrhea several times an hour, requiring the assistance of another person to get me to a commode. Yeah, Listen, my wife thinks I don't give her enough privacy, and well, at least that's what her diary says, but you get the point that recurrence of a severe diarrheal illness or even worse, something like a fulminant disease, is a very big deal as it should be to each patient that gets it. While I'm mentioning fulminant disease, I realize I forgot to mention that you should have surgery following along with you in those situations of severe ileus or shock or hypotension or C. diff that gets you into the ICU really for any reason because a lot of times you will end up needing a colectomy, particularly if you develop toxic megacolon. Okay, circling back to the recurrence of Clostridium difficile, if you did use orovancomycin as the first initial treatment for the initial episode, the second time around, you do want to use fidaxomycin. So you're gonna use 200 milligrams PO daily for 10 days. Though there is the option of doing a prolonged taper of vancomycin where you go back on the 125 milligrams oral for 10 days, you know, four times a day initially, and then you go to twice a day for about seven days, and then 125 milligrams every two to three days for another two to eight weeks. It's kind of like prednisone tapering. Everybody does it a little bit different. All right, well, why don't we stop there for today, and then I'm going to come back, and I think I can wind things up probably with just one more lecture on this topic. You've been listening to Dr. Gil Parat, and I will catch you on the next round.